0: Welcome back to Brooko Mode for episode 14. I'm joined by Mitch Gill. Hey you going, mate? Great pleasure to be here, mate. Well, thanks for coming on. New segment on the show. The vulnerability segment. The vulnerability deep dive.
1: Good good sound music, mate. Have you just ripped the four cards out? Was that what I'm supposed to do? No. <laughs> Let's start again. We'll start
0: it again. So, for the viewers at home listening, I've got a bunch of these vulnerability cards. The aim of them is to get the guests to open up and I'll open up and sort of set the tone for the rest of the conversation. And I've got three piles of questions because we're saying the deep dive. We've got them, we've got surface level, mid-depth and deep sea. So if the guest selects from the deep sea, they get to select four cards, pick one and I'll choose from the remaining three. They choose from the mid-depth, they pick three and I'll pick the remaining two. And hopefully no one goes surface level. <laughs> so Gilly has opted for the, the deep sea. So pick four cards from wherever in the deck. And you have a little look and no rush. And then pick whatever one you think speaks most to you and have a think about it. And I'll have a pick of the remaining three cards. Yeah, it's not going to be easy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You've gone quick. Yeah, oh, it's pretty relevant. You know how I posted in the group the other day? Oh, yeah. Grab another one? No, no, no. <laughs> They're all
0: like good things. I'll do this one. Um, I don't know if it's... I'll answer it when um we get to Okay, so... Now, normally... You yeah, want, go for it. I'll go first. Okay, so my card is the worst thing I've ever done to someone. Here we go. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a hard <laughs> thing to talk about, I guess. And I and this the only reason that i know that this could be a good one is cuz i um when i was reading through them i thought of it but luckily for me i'm actually a decent human so i haven't done anything that's you know like uh terrible like physical or like i'm just trying to think and make sure that there's nothing nothing much worse that i've done so <laughs> but i'll set the scene um it's a long it was a, w- a long time ago it was in, in primary school. Uh, the reason I think it's a good one is because I actually feel, felt so feel like can still remember it. And and obviously I won't name names, but like in primary school, I remember cu- coming back from holidays. This kid had um his dog died, and what and like we wanted to know what happened. And he had they had run over their own dog, and and then. And we had a bit of banter in this bloke always like back and forth, and then I like he said saying to me, and I said, "Oh, at least I don't, at least I don't run over my own dog." And and then like he just ran to the other end of the oval and was crying about it for like, and like I had never felt so bad because like like that's just like for a kid as well, like that was traumatic experience for a kid. They lost their dog. Yeah, and then. Yeah, I just feel I just still like think that story, and I think, geez, like I didn't think I'd be capable of being saying such a a th- nasty thing.
1: I think it comes with the banter; you don't know what someone's experience is at the time, and yeah, what you think is banter can sometimes be misconstrued another way. So that's nah, probably not the worst thing anyone's ever done. Oh, exactly, that's it, the thing. I think
0: yeah. it, I think that that that's why I mean I don't think I've been I think I've been a pretty good person my whole life. So it's but yeah, that's that, that's my one. So yep. tell us what you got.
1: I've got a a conversation I wish I could have again Um, and we're probably going to deep dive into a bit of mental health and a conversation I wish I could have again and um, something that men are very poor at is actually asking how we're going and is everything okay and I was uh, away in Fiji and I had a a friend uh, reply to a story that I posted and we had a very service level conversation around how you going mate is everything going well yep everything's good and that's how it was left. And then a, a week and a half later, he's committed suicide. So I, I wish I could have that conversation again and, and actually go, no, mate, how are you How are you actually going? What's really going on? Um, and maybe just, and maybe it maybe wouldn't have changed anything, but at least for him to feel supported and maybe that, that outcome may have never have happened um, or it might have. But I really do wish I would dwell on that and wish I could have that conversation again. It's hard when... People
0: reach out. You want to. Sometimes you don't know what the right thing to do is because and but often when they reach out, it's a cry for help. But that people, it's it's so hard to
1: actually say those words like "I need help." Yeah, exactly. And and we're pretty good at answering questions. Yeah, yeah, everything's all good, all good. That's a pretty standard response from a from from a male. So yeah, and we we all need to get better at digging a little bit deeper. I think. Yeah, I can
0: remember it's countless times I've said like "I'm all good." when I'm not but I guess we'll dig into that in a bit. I'd I'd like to start with the footy stuff because yep. I think it'll segue really well into the mental health um and the leadership sort of stuff. Probably one of the most impressive things I see on your resume here is playing senior footy at 14. Yep. That's a very young age. So uh how big were you then?
1: Uh I was I was probably this I was this height when I was about 16. So I was growing fairly, fairly quickly, but that's not an uncommon um it's not, it's not extremely common, but from growing up in a small country town in Brookton, um, that's not an uncommon story. That you know, we push up and you're playing Colts footy. I started playing under-13s footy when I was 10 years old, and then you start playing Colts footy, which is under-17s when you're sort of 13, 14 years old, and you get, you get, you have a few good games, and then all of a sudden you go up to reserves, and then, you, and then I was fortunate enough to go and play a bit of league footy when I was 15. So made a made my senior debut in reserves at 14, and that was, was just a a common place for a country kid i suppose like at the time i never thought oh wow this is a really big deal it was just like right this is the neck this is just this is normal um you, you have to you have to wear uh different colored shorts so that everyone out on the ground knows that you're you're under 16 <laughs> mate, target uh, them, like. yeah so you got you got to wear yellow shorts but mate no it was it was fantastic and it definitely helped oh, i think definitely helped shape me you Grew up in a small country town around around men, um, yeah, and it's been been a really big benefit. You know, you learn how to interact and and be around men, and yeah, it was it was good fun, uh, really good fun. Yeah, yeah, that
0: sounds sick. Yeah. So you've obviously got a bit of waffle experience. How did you get into that?
1: Considering that you were playing for like a
0: yep. country town.
1: Yeah, so I, I so obviously grew up in Brookton, and then I came away to boarding school. So I went to boarding school at Mazenod up in the hills, and then. So they were in the Swan District zone, so uh, through 14s, 15s, and 16s, you sort of start doing the development squad type stuff. And then after the 16s, development squad, or futures, whatever they call it, I can't really remember, I got asked to come down and play or train with the Colts. So then I started playing, started playing. well, I think I played the last six games of the year of Colts footy, so an under-18 comp at 16. And then that sort of started my journey. From, from then on, I was... I was all in, all in for footy. And I had the dream, had the dream of AFL, and yeah, I loved every bit of every bit of it. And then, yeah, sort of, I suppose the next part of that is I ended up probably burning out. I was probably too too footy focused. I didn't have didn't have really a balance. I was just all about footy, and 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 then I suppose having a good time on the weekend and that balance just wasn't wasn't healthy, and I sort of burnt myself out a bit. So yeah, that's sort of where how my waffle journey started. And
0: yeah, so I guess. In terms of, so that was when you are about,
1: what sort of ages were that when you started? Yeah, was like I was Colts footy I was 16 through to 18 and then after that went and played a year at Calamunda in the B grade competition. Uh, so as an 18 year old and I uh, was fortunate enough to play in a B grade premiership with them. I mean, I was, so all of my schoolmates were there uh, playing Colts footy and on a bye weekend for for, for Swan Districts decided I'd go back and just play a Colts game with them and after that had a, got a few got a few kicks and then after that the, the league coach Gary Armstrong, he gave me a call and he said, I want you to play league next week and sort of that meant I had to make a decision between do I go and finish the year at, at Swan Districts in the Colts, which will come in dead last, or do I come and play senior footy up at Calamunda and play the last sort of six games of the season, then lead into finals. And I just sort of thought, well, it. I'm going to go and play senior footy with these blokes. And it was unreal, unreal experience. It's some lifelong friends. But I suppose through that experience uh, and winning that flag with them, I still knew I wanted to chase the waffle dream a bit more. And um, that led to sort of going to, to Peel Thunder a little bit down the track.
0: So is that the only premiership you've won?
1: Yes, uh, and the only premiership in any, like, I didn't win any juniors or anything like that. So, yeah, just just the one. So, uh, yeah, a bit bro, like me. Very, very hungry another for one. another one, right?
0: Yeah. So I want to go into that waffle waffle experience. So you played 33 games in league and, and reserves for Peel Thunder. So when you went to Peel, were you sort of, whereabouts were you in the squad? Were you
1: yeah, so I came down, sort of had not a bad, had, had a pretty good run with Calamunda and they sort of must have come and watched a couple of games and then gave us a call. And I actually went down there with Braden, Braden Lawler and, oh, and yeah. myself were sort of the two the two recruits that were coming on that year and like you go down there and that was sort of at the start, might have been a couple of years in for the um the Frio alignment. So that was that was a really that was probably a big draw for me, thinking about like having that professional side and being aligned with, with Frio was was pretty exciting and sort of really what drew me to it. And then yeah, so I sort of went there two thousand and fourteen through to two thousand and seventeen, I think, or sixteen. And yes, in and out of the league squad and it probably I was probably a little bit immature at, at that stage. I sort of thought I was probably, I probably thought I was better than what I was um, and thought I should have been playing a lot more league footy than what I was and I I got myself very frustrated, you know, why why is he playing, what's, it, what's going on here? So that was a really big learning curve for me to probably understand where I was actually at and where I thought I was at and that realisation that if I wanted to be at that level I needed to work a lot harder and... And then there was probably uh, injuries. Injuries probably always plagued me a little bit, and, and yeah, quite a few injuries through through Peel, so that didn't help. But yeah, definitely, definitely love the experience. Was there when we won when we won a flag? Didn't play in it, but that was the first flag for Peel Thunder. They went back to back. So being around that environment, being around that professional environment, and, and learning from the Freo guys, the Freo coaches, uh, that, that was yeah, that was a pretty awesome experience.
0: How much more professional is the waffle environment? in comparison to, I guess, amateur clubs like Kalamundra and North Beach sort of?
1: Yeah, um, North Beach is scarily close, but I suppose what the difference is and the biggest difference I see is at Waffle it's an expectation for every single player on the list. They have to do a minimum of gym, gym fitness, skin folds, whereas at North Beach, you know, you've got varying levels of commitment. It's You've got myself and you who we love our footy we're very very committed so we we do all the right things we eat the right things but then you've also got guys that are just there and all they want to do is just have a kick so you've got very varying levels and you need to tailor it to those varying levels whereas at waffle it's either you do these things or you don't you don't play here um so you can it's very it's a lot easier to to demand i suppose the professionalism side whereas at north Beach, Kalamunda, you. You really do have to 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 tailor it to all levels of commitment. Um, so yeah, it definitely it definitely is a step up. I suppose training wise, we were training Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, playing Saturday, and then recovery most Sundays. So that that's a big time commitment, and there's obviously vision and reviews and things like that. But the PFL is definitely stepping up. I've noticed in my time from since 2019 to now, like every year, it's getting stronger and stronger. And the, the good clubs are doing vision doing recovery um, their top in talent are are all coming from that waffle background you can see they're bringing that into their clubs and it's something that we try to do as well so obviously
0: you're the north beach captain and you're a leader so how do you find you know demanding excellence from everyone like you said there's a varying levels of degrees in comparison to the waffle how, how do you sort of lead and try and get everyone to a certain standard when there are that such a you know, a varying amount of...
1: Yeah, it's a challenge and I suppose it's, you demand, I suppose the way I try and frame it and, and Mitch Dwyer t- sort of taught me this is you, you work hard on the on the track and, and you demand those things but you also, when it's time to have fun and be off the field and, and, and have a silly Sunday or a, or a rookie day, that you really buy into those things as well. So it's, I suppose it's almost like a carrot you, you dangle in, in front of people in, in a way you just need a they need when it's time to be serious, you need to really make sure that everyone's there to be serious and you get something out of that hour and a half that you're on the track. But as soon as that hour and a half is up, like it's jokes, it's having fun. And that's something that I've had to constantly work on. And I don't know what the secret source is to how to get, get that balance right. But yeah, it's a it's a it's it's definitely a juggling act and I suppose the young guys are the best are the best uh, indicators for me. If they're still having fun and they're enjoying it, but they're still buying in on the field, then that tells me that we're on the right path. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: So just touching back, I guess, on that waffle stuff before I go into like any leadership sort of stuff, because um, we spoke before and I guess some of the the mental struggles you've gone through stemmed or started actually during that period. I sort of want to know what were some of the circumstances that surrounded – that time when you're in that down period so we can sort of explore it, you know, give a bit of context for me and the, and the listeners.
1: Yeah, so I, I suppose you, you are talking about like sort of the, the, the gambling depression type, type things. Is that what you... What yeah, you, yeah, yep. that's... Yeah, Yeah, so, yeah, sort of through that sort of 20, 20 to sort of 22, you're not playing as much league footy as you want and, and you, you start to get down. But I suppose the other side of that is, and it's a, it's a widespread problem, is, is gambling. Yeah. Um, I was an eighteen-year-old kid. You, you sort of you go you go to these senior footy clubs, um, and then all you want to do is fit in and belong. Everyone just wants to feel like they belong, and and gambling is such a big part of our of our culture. Um, and so, it, all, every, all the senior blokes were punting. So I thought, well, that's that's my in. I'm going to start punting, and I'm going to start having having a having a go. Um, and it's fun and it's social and everyone's drinking and everything like that. And then as as time goes on, you know, it becomes a very unhealthy habit. And it it became a very unhealthy habit to the point where in in uh, when I was twenty one, I had to go and see my old man and say, "Dad, I need some, I need some help. Like this is this is getting out of control." To the point where like I was fully chasing my losses all the time. Um, it become it it wasn't it wasn't something I was doing for enjoyment. I was I was I was doing it because I I had to do it and I, I wanted to get win back my money and and everything like that. So I suppose you're not playing you're not playing the footy you want to play. You, you coincide that with gambling and it's a dangerous dangerous mix. And I, I'm just lucky that I had a very good support network around me um, to be able to to be able to guide me through it. Yeah, I
0: definitely it's definitely a huge problem in Australia. Yeah, and a very personal problem. I had to stop. Now I think. I think I had a similar experience where, like, I started gambling, and like my gambling increased as a, as a way to fit in, and like, and then what happens is like you blend that with a, as with a very competitive personality, yeah, and like we don't like losing, so then, you know, that's a dangerous combination with with that's what they thrive on these betting companies, they yeah, exactly. thrive on those sort of people, and then and yeah, I've I've stopped stopped gambling, I've lost too much money to to admit I wouldn't I have a number but it's not it's too too embarrassing to talk about. But two hundred and fifty seventh day today, no betting. So
1: well there you go. That's a that's a that's it's
0: a good win. To it's a win. Yeah. So obviously I like want to explore this this yep. down period a bit more. I guess the first thing is is what 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 did it feel like and, and what did it what it look like in your life.
1: Yeah. It's um it, yeah, I was it's a really good question and, and it's hard to describe what it looked like. I suppose the feeling I had a very visual feeling of like a grey, a big cloud following me around. Um, I just wasn't I wasn't a nice person to be around. Um, I I felt like um, in my relationship at that stage I'd suck the life out of the room. Um, so there wasn't space there wasn't space for for um for her to be sort of emotional as well as me. Um, I just I took up all the emotional space in the room, and yeah, and that's probably where. Again, it leads into that you're not playing the footy you want because you don't have the commitment that you, that, that was required to, to succeed at waffle level. Like I was just constantly um, finding the negative in situations. You know, it was never my fault um, to why I, was, why I wasn't playing. It was always someone else's fault. So it took a long time, a long time to sort of realise that I needed to work on myself. And, and again, opening up and being vulnerable, that did not come natural to me. You know, like you're, you're a country kid. Um, a leader in in most aspects from a sports perspective um, throughout my, my sports journey. And you try and be this knight in shining armour and you try and present as all good to everyone and, and everything's, everything's going well. And I suppose the other part of it is I, I live a very I, – I, and at that stage I was living a very good life. I had a good job. Uh, for 21 years old I was making really good money and I felt guilty. I was like, why what, – what do you actually have to be sad about? What do you actually have to, to – to feel down about and and that was a really hard internal battle to go it's actually okay for me to feel this way um so that that was that was definitely a, a challenge um and it took professional help to to get over that and um now if i uh, ever, ever speaking to a young bloke or even a mate I'm, I'm the first to say you you professional help is the best thing you can do you can go and speak to someone where there's no judgment um, and you can just be completely open and transparent. And then at the same time, I wish that I opened up to my mates at that stage more and let them in a, in a bit more because I think now now when I think about if one of my mates is hurting, I'd, I'd want to know. And and just like, like the story I was told at the start of the podcast, um, you want to know and you want to help people. Um, so there's a lot, a lot of factors in it. But, yeah, I suppose the overwhelming feeling when I was in that was this – Big grey cloud, uh, weight of the world on my shoulders, um, and like you're just dragging chains along with you. So, yeah, wasn't wasn't the wasn't great, a great time. But I'm very lucky that I had a support network, and I'm probably very, I'm a type of person that I like I like seeing a problem and fixing it. So I've been very problem problem solving orientated. So I, I suppose I was I'm lucky that I was able to recognise that something wasn't right, e.g. with the gambling as well, and I needed I need to fix this. So. You reached out for help, but how did that look? How did you how you
0: find someone to go to?
1: Yeah, um, so I just so the scariest part was, was my dad because um, he's one of my, he's like my best mate, um, extremely close to him, and I was so embarrassed and so scared of what he would think. And it took me probably, I reckon I, I reckon I rang him five times over a over a two week period where I. I needed to say I need to see you, um, and then every time he answered the phone, I sort of scurried away from it and got scared, got too nervous. And then I'd, two days later, I'd call again. Not oh, right Dad, I need. It. I need. It. Nah, I'd got too scared, run away from it again. So that that was the hardest part. And I think you, you build it up in your head that they're going to react a certain way, and they're not going to uh, they're not going to love you anymore, sort of thing. But it's, it's just the complete opposite when you when you reach out to someone who loves you. Um, all they want to do is just wrap their arms around you and support you through it, and, and you, it's almost like, what the hell was I thinking? Why was I thinking this way that they were going to react so so poorly? Um, and yeah, just so that that was the first step, and then and then uh, the next step for me was yeah, going to a doctor and and getting a mental health plan, um, which was yeah, which was really really good. So I think a lot of people struggle to
0: open up about their struggles, and and it builds up, and sometimes it it just becomes too much but what sort of signs were there that things weren't right what sort of like what sort of thoughts to enter in your head that it, things weren't right and what what just so the people might be listening and, and they might be thinking similar lines and
1: yeah i think when you're starting to only see the negatives um only see the negatives and you're finding when effort becomes hard like like the effort becomes too hard. simple like in, things become hard. Yeah, simple things become too hard. Like yeah, like going to the gym or, or going to work, it requires effort. But when that when those simple things become really, really hard and you've got no motivation to do it do it at all, then I think you're yeah, um, I think that's that's the first sort of science for me. I also think that friends the fr- our friends notice so much more, so much more than what we realise and I think a big challenge Especially, it's just that when you do ask someone if they're okay, and you and you you've got an inkling that something isn't, and they and their response is, "Yep, everything's all good." As soon as that happens, I think you just need to stop again and go, "Mate, are you really okay?" And what can I do to help you? And I think as 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 friends, if we can do that for each other, then then that also helps the process of of someone being able to understand their feelings and, and understand where they're at.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think we need to get better at that. But I think it's also it can be hard because yeah, there's in in our society there's a the stigma around mental health, especially for men. It's
1: yeah. huge. One thing I've, I've, I've sort of changed, I suppose, in the last couple of years since becoming captain is speak to yourself like you'd speak to your best friend. Um, so like if your your internal voice is is saying something to you and you wouldn't speak to your best friend that way, then it's probably not the best way to be speaking to yourself. So. That's probably a cue for me as well. When I, when that internal voice starts becoming uh, nasty and and speak and if you, you stop and think about it, go would, would I say that to my best friend? If and if the answer is no, then you probably know right. Something's off. Let's let's get on top of this.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think that's that's mindfulness, and I think I started doing that. But I just whenever I start having this negative thought, I just say to myself, stop. Yeah. Just one word, and then for some reason it seems to work, and I just like that, because what can happen is it's just one thought leads to a, a more negative thought, and then to another thought, and then you think, oh, what's going to happen? And it just becomes like fucking spiral. It spirals until this like a sort of harmless thought comes to this like yeah, you know, hugely negative thing that could happen.
1: Uh, yeah, and that's a yeah. That's why addressing things early and and and, and being vulnerable to yourself early is so important because yeah, it, it's things snowball.
0: Yeah. During this difficult time, what were some of the things? Because I, th- I think what can happen is when people are struggling, people don't have to know what to say, what to do. But I guess you've had this experience, so it'd be insightful to know like what helped you and and what didn't help you as well. Yeah, from, from other
1: people. Yeah, um, I suppose what 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 didn't what didn't help me is, and it's a very common. All right, we'll just go out on the piss. And, and we'll go out and have a good time out on the piss, and we'll go night clubbing, and, and you know take your mind off it. Let's take your mind off it. And at the time, that's really it is helpful because you you're you're out and you're not thinking about it. But that the days that precede that, they're really tough. So I think the idea behind let's take your mind off it is right, but going out and drinking alcohol and, and, and doing things like that probably isn't the best thing to be doing. There's so many other activities that you can do, whether it's golf, hiking. Uh, go and watch a game of footy, whatever it may be. But I think that that was a very common thing for me when I was going through, oh, come on, mate, we'll, we'll go out and we'll, we'll sort this out and you'll forget about it, sort of thing. So alcohol avoidance, you know, can't avoid it, but that definitely didn't help. And then I suppose the things that that, that did help is I had one mate, um, Matty Outridge, who he, he actually drew, 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 dug a little bit deeper around the questions he asked. So he sort of stopped. And said, "No, look, how you really going?" Um, And yeah, another mate, Tommy Martin, he's probably pretty similar. How you really going? Those things help. And then, then once you sort of break down the walls, break down the walls of of yourself, and you let yourself be vulnerable, then that's the pathway to sort of start to start to recognise, "Right, I need to fix something." And then, yeah, like I said, if you don't feel comfortable speaking to your friends or your your partner or your mum and dad, go and just go and see the doctor, get a mental health plan. and and that is a very very powerful thing, but that, that is very hard, and you have to be ready to go and do that, or, or ask someone to ask someone to come with you, take you, someone drive you there, tell them about the appointment so that they drive you there and they help you get there. That that's that's a that's a powerful thing as well.
0: So during this period, did you ever feel like you had to put on an act in certain environments and and pretend you're okay when you weren't, and and how did that how did that make you feel to have to be someone you you weren't at that time.
1: Yeah, mate. I still I still do it now. I still do it now. And uh, uh, it's a it is it is really hard and it's really difficult. And actually admitting that you're not okay is is hard. And especially when you're in a leadership position and you sort of look to to sort of be leading leading and whether that be on the field or off the field. Yeah, it's a really hard thing. And I, and I still struggle with it. So there's still some times when I go to the footy club two two weeks ago. Um, I had a really crappy day at work, and someone asked me how I was going. And the first thing I said was, "Yeah, mate, going really good," which, in actual fact, I wasn't. Why didn't I be honest? And I suppose, yeah, that that you do put on an act at times. But again, that's just being aware of yourself. And I think, like you said, that mindfulness piece—just telling yourself to stop, stop, nah, be honest, be vulnerable. You don't have to be you can't don't have to be vulnerable to everyone, but be vulnerable to someone. If you could. Speak to yourself before that time, before you went through these
0: these troubles, um, or even even now. What would what would you tell a younger version of yourself to sort of in, in with this sort of stuff to like to help you get through some
1: you know troubling headspaces? Yeah, don't pretend to be someone you're not, and don't do something against your values to fit in. Now that's really easy to say in hindsight. It's pretty hard to do that at the time. It's one of the reasons why I respect you so much, Egan. Like doing the not drinking and, and taking on that challenge it, it is hard footy clubs can be the best places in the world and I obviously love my footy and I love my footy club and I love being around the boys but they can also be a hard place to be around when you don't uh, want to drink and you don't want to do the the sort of the off-field partying type things that are associated with footy so it, it, that's a really that's a massive pat on the back for the for you you have the strength of character to do that mate that's it's it's, it's really awesome. But I suppose that's advice that I would give my younger self. Don't. I knew when I started punting that I didn't really, didn't really want to do it. I was doing it because I felt like I had to fit in. And then there was a point where I, I probably could have stopped, and but I was ch- I chose to keep doing it because I didn't want to lose that connection of feeling excluded. At the end of the day, I look back on it now. Those guys wouldn't have thought of me any differently if I did or didn't punt. Like I was still Mitch Gill. So. I think the biggest thing is just if I could speak to myself as a 17-year-old, just always remember to be yourself and don't pretend to be someone you're not.
0: Yeah, definitely love that and I'm sure everyone can relate yep. in their own way. And with the gambling thing, I think you're right. Like, And what what I think it's good though is when you're trying to, whether it's alcohol or gambling and you're trying to stop and you don't want to do some sort of behaviour, sometimes you can realise like who your true authentic friends are because they're not going to... Not be your friend anymore because you've stopped doing that. Exactly, and I, th- I think one that you'll know is like I used to gamble a lot with um with Jack Matt. Yeah, uh, he still does, but I don't gamble anymore. But I don't think it hasn't really changed our relationship. There so then have. that's a sign that the whole friendship wasn't just about this one thing. And 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 some and you don't want a friendship that's just around some. I wouldn't call it toxic, but it's some sort of is, but just like some some sort of behavior that's not really positive. If you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. No, I totally agree. It's a, you want us around, yeah, you're, you've hit the nail on the head, mate. I don't even need to add anything to that. Well,
0: you've said that well, hit the nail on the head. Yeah. I don't know if you listened to the last episode, but... Oh, I didn't. I uh, haven't listened I, last I was, <laughs> I was trying to say hit the nail on the head, but I said hit the hammer on the head. No, I couldn't <laughs> say it right. That's funny. I'd love to explore a bit of this leadership stuff because I think you hold... And then because then with the leadership we can talk about your injury uh, as captain last year as mm-hmm. well, so it can go hand in hand. But I guess the first one, just to get into this leadership sort of thing, um, you know, what what inspired you to be a leader?
1: Yeah, no one's actually ever asked me that question. I think I've always I've always felt I've en- I've always enjoyed leading. I've always enjoyed sort of people interaction and and trying to get the best out of myself, but also the best out of the team. So from a young age, I've always wanted to to win. But I think I realised pretty early on that I couldn't win by myself. So I think that's really what inspired me. And then I suppose parents as well. Yeah, again, they've, they've been a massive influence on me. What do you think makes a good leader? Yeah, I, I think the ability to unite a group, whether that's a sporting team, a business, and point them in a the direction of, of, of success. Now, what does success look like? Who Who knows? but still being able to let them be themselves within that space. So this is the, this is the start line, there's the finish line. We, we're going in this direction, but within this direction, there's the box. You can be whoever you want to be within that box as long as we're all moving together. So I think the ability to, of, to align an organisation or a team to move in the same direction but still allow them to be, to be themselves.
0: Yeah, that's a perfect answer. So, now to some of your personal experiences because that's where some of the gold is. Um, I guess, does being a leader sort of, you know, you've had a lot of personal struggles, but does, I guess, being a leader sort of take the focus away from yourself and give you a, a greater purpose that isn't just all about you and you can sort of put your energy into other people and, and you know, distract yourself, sort of, you know what I
1: mean? Yeah, um, absolutely, mate. Like, oh, I've got a real passion, a real passion for people, and sometimes my passion. Can be mistaken for intensity, um, uh, and like, yeah, I know that. I know at times I can come across very intense and and and, and full on, uh, but it is really a passion for for people and and wanting people to succeed and and get the best out of themselves. So, yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: how do you make tough decisions and have difficult conversations when you also, like we've talked about, for like we want to be liked as a leader? But how do you sort of separate? Wanting to be respected,
1: and then also wanting to be liked as well. Yeah, I think um, at the end of the day, everyone likes to be told the truth. And I'm probably with with part of my waffle experience was I felt like at times I was told I was just told generic excuses to why I wasn't playing. Like I got told one off season that I needed to get fitter, faster, and stronger. Like, <laughs> all right. so I pretty much. So I just wanted to. You people just want to know. Where, they, where they're at yeah. and what do they need to do. And I think if you if you bullshit people, it, like, you can smell it and you can pick it up pretty well. So I think you run the risk of of not being liked if you're not being honest. The moment you're not honest is when you're sort of opening up to not be liked. So I think honesty, honest and yes, being directed can be hard, but it's all about that follow-up conversation. So if you're having a hard conversation on the field, off the field, send a follow-up in the next hour or the next day and just follow up and touch base again so you deliver that hard message but you follow up i think that's so important so you think i guess it's not just what you say but how you say it yeah exactly it's in yeah you, you, there's two ways to deliver a message you can give someone a spray and and, and belittle them or you can you can speak to them and empower them um, and yeah it's about how you how you deliver the message and how they receive it what what could you do
0: better. I th- I've talked to you about this before, so I know where you could go with this. But it's, it's. I'm
1: interested to explore it a bit further. But what do you think you can improve on as a leader? Yeah, sharing the load, and it's something I, because I am so passionate about the North Beach Footy Club, and I'm so passionate about our group, and I'm so passionate about footy. I can try and be everything to everything to everyone when I don't. I don't need to be, and that probably trying to be everything to everyone actually affects my footy negatively it doesn't allow me to be mitch Gill. i need to remember to be one of the reasons that i'm a leader and um and hopefully i'm a good leader is because of who i am and if i'm trying to be everything to everyone uh, and i'm not sharing the load i'm not being the best version of mitch Gill. so i think a constant thing i'm trying to work on is sharing the load and empowering other people and my leaders around me my, my leadership group to to get better and and take on more responsibility yeah I think delegating
0: stuff to other people, like you said, is very empowering. Yeah, and it brings everyone else up, and then as a bonus, it takes the load off you. Exactly in the same t- in the same time. So, yes, last year was your uh, last year was your first year as captain. I remember that you were in the North Frio game into the goalpost, and then missed a fair bit of the season, and obviously injuries played a bit of a role in your career. So I'd like to explore sort of the injury, injuries throughout your career and sort of the mindset throughout those times. I guess, I know about last year's one, but what sort of injuries have you experienced
1: before that? Yeah. In my full times? Um, so I've, I've, uh, I've ripped my peck off the bone. Um, I've broken my foot before. I've broken my wrist. I've done a few hammies. I've been knocked out eight times. So, yeah, it's definitely been a, been a part of my journey. Injuries, and then the one last year was probably the most devastating. So for for those that don't know, I um yeah first year as captain it was honestly um from waffle to any year that I'd played that was the fittest and the best I'd ever felt going into a season like oh and we had a had had two of my real good mates Corey Morris and Braden Lawler come and join us and I was so excited for the year. Um and then round one I do my Liz Frank. which is a ligament in your foot, which is pretty uncommon injury um, for for Australian rules, and at the same time, I broke my uh, second, third, and fourth metatarsal. So, pretty much like I stepped on a grenade and it went off <laughs> inside my foot, uh, it was a mess. And I went and seen the surgeon, and the the first the first um, the first meeting with the surgeon, he said, uh, "Look, mate, you might you may never play again." Jesus. And I was like, "What?" Uh, I didn't even think that was in the realm of possibility and I, I, I walked out of there, I hopped in the car and I literally bawled my eyes out um, because I, for, for that moment, for that ne- next hour I thought footy for me was done and I thought this has been taken away from me and I'm very, very lucky that I play at North Beach and Chris Perkins rang me so I told, told, told Tom Hooper, our physio he obviously let Perko know and Chris Perkins rang me and he said, mate, we're going to tackle this a bit differently. He said, if you're open to it, let's do the rehab differently and we'll, we'll see what we can do. So I was, I, I thought, well, what have I got to lose? I've, I've just been told I might not ever play. I'm probably not going to ever play again. What have I got to lose? So I thought, yep, I'm all in. And that sort of probably took me out of that victim mindset to now that chip on the shoulder, a little bit of the uh, an FU to the surgeon, like, well, let's see what we can do. And then, yeah, so the protocol... Was pretty much ripped up for that for that injury, and and Chris Perkins and the Eagles doctors sort of wrote wrote a new one, and yeah, I was very very fortunate. I went all in on it, and it was a challenge. And I suppose that's where I enjoy like injuries have played a big role in my in part of in part of my footy journey. Um, I actually enjoy the challenge of injuries. Um, they they test you mentally, mentally, and maybe if I didn't go through that those tough times as a as a young adult maybe I wouldn't enjoy them so much but I think uh, one of the reasons why I, I suppose enjoyment is the wrong word but why I enjoy the challenge is I know what's on the other side of hard work and facing your fears a little bit and on the other side is something's pretty special so yeah ended up following that doing that rehab program and came back in 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 fourteen weeks so yeah they're actually they're gonna they're writing a white paper on it and yeah sort of a white paper a white okay. paper on the on the rehab protocols oh, and yeah yeah, and no, we'll, uh, what that is I should know. <laughs> yeah, and then I sort of I think so. Yeah, it was a very very hard period, but something that I just embraced. And shout out to my wife, Britt. I wouldn't have been able to do it without her, without her help. Like I would have been a pain in the ass to be around. And um, I was training, sort of doing rehab in the morning, rehab in the afternoon. And yeah, I just went all in, and and Britt went all in with me. And without her support, I wouldn't have been able to do it. So I suppose. Almost enjoy that part of it as well because it, it, our team at home became even tighter.
0: Yeah, I think challenges like you said can can show you who you really are and yeah. and the people around you and strengthen those relationships and strengthen your sort of mental fortitude a bit. I guess obviously it sucks not playing footy. I, I've only done one bad injury. I missed missed a whole year breaking my ankle. I actually played the last three games, but I just I sort of think. Like before, I'd done that. I had no injury. Actually, that's the only injury I've ever done. Pretty much rolled a few ankles, but no, like no, no soft tissues. And I guess my headspace with that at when you initially do it, like you said, it, you started crying, and it was. And I guess in your head, it, after the initial injury, it's so so traumatic. I guess in your own head, and you, I, I remember thinking I don't want to play footy again, even though like I was 20, yeah. 20 or nineteen. Oh, actually, I might have been eighteen. So how silly is that? But then I guess there's a turning point, and then like it's like oh, I'm gonna come back better than ever, yeah. Um, and I don't know what that is, but it's just in your head. It's like a, it's like a switch, and then you're like I'm coming back a different different player. Sometimes yeah. injuries suck, but sometimes they can be a good reset if as long as it doesn't affect you too much um, physically. Like it doesn't. It's not like a terrible broken leg. Like obviously injuries can still affect your mobility but mentally it can be a good reset and change how you're going about it because i think with footy you can get stuck in a certain pattern of how you play train think and then it can just be a huge reset and then you start appreciating just playing footy i think that was probably my biggest thing when i came back it was just like i'm happy to be playing footy and then it's like play well i don't i don't care i'm playing football it's yeah. fun better than
1: watching yeah exactly i think that's a big well especially the last years but it just made me realize how ready i'm not be um, retired like yeah. I the I'm not that I'm thinking about retirement yet. Like I'm 28, so I'm hopefully <laughs> gonna be playing for a bit longer. But I am starting to see the end now, and I understand that the end is coming. So it just made me realise that I'm I just want to keep playing for as long as I can. Um, and and while it can still still add value, I'll still be playing. The one where you spoke about like yeah, you you think of uh, like I don't want to play anymore. Like when I got knocked out, um, one real bad one that affected me for a really long time because I was. I actually got nervous playing footy for, for sort of that the rest of that season when you sort of go into back into a contest and it actually that was really hard uh, yeah. to overcome. But yeah, you can cut that bit out. But that's um, no. I was like just thinking about it. With yeah,
0: I guess I haven't had many concussions. Like the thing is, I'll tell you. So on the weekend, I had a kick and then like I got my legs taken out and I hit my head on the ground and then like I, for some reason my head's like the only thing I worry about in footy. Like, I don't really care. Like, yeah, it would suck to get broken bones, body, but like the head's like the one thing, especially guess because I'm like intellectual and I do study and like, it's important to me. Like, yeah, you know, I guess not everyone playing footy has like that same mindset, but I don't know. I think that, I think that affects sometimes. Like I probably don't go as hard as I could because I feel like I don't, I just don't want to jeopardize another 50 years just to, just to play a bit of sport. Like, so, like, some finding that, like, that mindset can be difficult. Mm. And like you said, you had the concussion or you got knocked, it's the same thing. Um, and then, obviously, when you played again, it was really difficult. So, I guess, how did you how did you sort of over, overcome
1: that? Or was it just with time? Just with time, mate. Um, it, it honestly probably took me, I still think about it now. Like, that that, that one concussion was, was pretty bad. And, yeah, I certainly haven't run back with the flight like I did back then. Um, i think I've, i think you showed it one time i think i've seen it yeah yeah it completely cooked me for a bit so no it just it took some time mate and just but then then once you sort of start playing again you're not worried about it but yeah you got to look after the head most important thing yeah yeah
0: so we'll get into the this segment i think i got the wrong one here stop pop pop okay so i got a question from pop yep. and then got a bunch of audience questions um and this might kick off a couple of other conversations because I've got quite a few here.
1: Yeah, Would you give me an explicit example when during play you verbally use your leadership role as captain? Oh, it happens so much during a game. But I suppose the, the the best time for leadership, I suppose, and, and where I think people look to the captain is when things aren't going right or when they've just cut, got a couple of goals on and... And remembering to go and encourage people, and still be, um, still remain positive. Like as soon as you go into that negative frame of mind, they'll they'll pull on more goals. So, um, I'm just thinking back to the first quarter on the weekend. You know, Uni kicked a few goals, and it was just even though we ended up getting rolled, it was just about it's okay, the boys. Like it's okay, we're going to be okay. Keep keep attacking the game, keep going out the game, and I think just that encouragement. Um, yeah, hopefully that answers your question, Pop.
0: Yeah. I've split the questions up because I've got quite a few. I've got a bit general footy questions, a bit of North Beach, a bit of life, um, and I've got a whole section from Gus. <laughs> <laughs> so how would you compare
1: the PFL standard to the other comps you've played in? I firmly believe that the top PFL sides would beat all of the Waffle Reserve sides. Um, I just think the Waffle Reserve sides are made up of mostly um, – Younger younger guys, yeah, they'd probably be a bit quicker, a bit uh, and a bit more, uh, bit fitter. But the the top PFL sides now are just made up of so much good senior um, waffle experienced or or have been playing PFL for a long time, and and then you've also got a really good amount of youth coming through the system as well. So I would put PFL on par with um, waffle reserves, um, and then yeah, they country footy. I played country footy for a year. That that was good fun, but the PFL is a very very strong competition. Yeah, career highlight in footy? Hopefully, it's still to come with the premiership at North Beach. Uh, but I suppose the the premiership at Calamunda. That feeling of mateship after that game was uh, that's the feeling I'm chasing.
0: The best play you've ever played with?
1: I'll answer this to people. Uh, Michael Barlow. Oh, Jesus! Would be that, was that a Peel? Yeah, Peel. Um. He was incredible. Obviously, um, playing at Peel because he was uh, on the Freo list at the time, and he wasn't getting for some reason he wasn't getting the he's game. The game, yeah. I think he had. I think he, this particular game, I'm thinking of. I think he had 14, uh, 40 touches and 17 tackles or something like that. Like it was unbelievable. Uh, and then I suppose non AFL. I'm going to go Matthew Outridge, uh, good mate of mine. He should have went a lot higher, but uh, he's a freak of nature.
0: Where does he play? What uh,
1: now he's in the midfield. Midfield. And yeah. So I play with him uh, at Calamunda and then at Country Footy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah.
0: So, a few North Beach ones here Matt Murray, Oscar Tothill, Austin
1: Sheard. Who do you have in your team and why? I'll, I'll have Matt Murray and Oscar in my team and because I can trust them. Ozzy, where have you been, mate? I haven't <laughs> seen you for three years, so I can't <laughs> have you in my team. <laughs> Who is a better bloke, J Mac or Tomo? Tomo. <laughs> Pre-game meal? Not not strict. Sometime, very often is grilled, but it's not strict. Best kick at North
0: Beach? Egan Brooks.
1: <laughs>
0: you send that one in yourself?
1: No. You're
0: going to get hurt. The person who sent that in will get hurt. Oh, a cat's going to be hurt, right? Isn't yeah. yeah. Uh, why do you refer to yourself in third person as the fish?
1: Corey Morris asked that, didn't he? Or Brayden Lawler. Yeah. <laughs> I never ever referred to myself as fish. <laughs> <laughs> Best
0: DJ at North Beach, Dion County. Oh, really? Yeah. Best haircut at North Beach, uh, James Garcia. What happened to the Blues this year? What expert tips would you give their midfield? Um, give the ball to Crippermore, more. I think is the
1: key. <laughs> I don't. I don't know about that. Yeah, I'm not sure I don't. He's got to handball it off to yeah. some better users. No, nah, mate. It's uh, been very disappointing, but since I've been born we've been shit so this is I suppose this is just all part of it here we've got a little section from Gus uh, is it true you always crumble at the golf masters comps uh, yes I've come runner up twice and I have crumbled Apple crumble I suppose is now my nickname <laughs> in the golf club rate right, Carlton season out of 10 4 is it true you're actually 37 <laughs> <laughs> no oh, funny story on that um, like like Two of my best mates is Mitchie Dwyer and and Dion. And in 2021, they were retiring. So at that stage, I was 26. And I'd literally, 21 was my best year of footy at at North Beach. And they were retiring because they're a bit older than me. I think they were 30 30 or 31. And that was it for them. And we just lost Kingsway. We'd gone back to the club. And I'm like, you know, I was devastated, but, you know, I was thinking, yep, yeah, I'm, I'm part of the next gen. This is, this is my time now, sort of thing. And uh, Riley Hinckley comes up to me and goes, Oh, mate, unlucky today. And he goes, Anyway, what are you doing next year? And I was like, What do you mean? He goes, Oh, are you retiring? Or? And I was like, Mate, how old are you? And he goes, I'm 24. I said, I'm only fucking two years older than you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I'm not 37. <laughs> Golf lessons or date night? Choose one. I'll be very political with this answer. Date night. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How
0: was the breakup with Macca?
1: Um, I'm still still speak to him once a week, so I don't know if we've actually broken up yet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so we've got a bit of life questions here. So, who inspires you to be the best version of yourself?
1: I think uh, that probably definitely my wife uh, Brit. She's a massive role role in that. Like, I want to be the best version of myself for for her and, and to be able to provide for. For her and and our family that we'll have in the future, and then I suppose my I suppose my friends and my friends are a part of that as well. Like I really want to be a leader within my friendship circles as well. So yeah, I'd say say Brit, my friends and, and family. But if I had to pinpoint it to one one thing, I'd say Brit. Yeah, uh, this is not even
0: a question. This is just man is is the face of North Beach and has time for everyone. Love Gilly. Thank you, whoever that is. Your footy work life balance is very good.
1: What are your tips for boys wanting to do it all? Uh, it's it. You need to find you. You probably just need to be honest with yourself and what you're actually capable of doing. I'm I'm pretty fortunate that I've I've had roles within work where I'm not a tradie and I'm not uh, on my feet and and using my hands every single day. I've had the ability to sort of plan plan my own weeks um, in in the roles I've worked in. So that's a big thing. And I think it's just about being honest with yourself and. Um, yeah, at times I definitely don't get the, the balance right at all. Um, I try and do too much but it's just about that those resets and, and those resets don't have to be major. You might just need to take uh, an afternoon for yourself um, where you just sort of go home and switch off um, and then you get back into doing it. But I just think being aware and being honest with yourself. What are your tips for young men struggling to open up about their mental health? Yeah, um, just... That's a that's a really hard question, or how do you get it right? I think it's just it's just being honest and open. And if someone asks you the question, just like I'd go back to saying, if your best friend had said this, what would you do? Like, so if you if one of your best mates asks you how you're going, and you and you, and you need to just be honest, just be honest, um, because no one is going to react poorly. Everyone just wants the best for you, um, and the reason why they're asking is because they care. I think when you said.
0: How do, I, how do I say it right is is sort of a similar reason why people don't open up yeah, yeah, because yeah. They, they think they have to convey this feeling in a perfect manner and then they just think it's easy, it's easier not to say anything rather yeah. than just try and explain what's happening. I think
1: you've you, you, definitely you hit the nail on the head.
0: Yeah, Right there's all the questions from, from the fans. Look out. Very well done. So we've got last little segment on the show Um, let's play it and tell me tell me if this is a new segment. Tell me if you know where this is from. I'm hoping you do. I gotta make sure I press the right one. Well, well, well. How the turntables? It's
1: Michael Scott.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the segment is
1: turntables where you asked me a question. Yeah. I'm glad you gave me some leadway on this question, so I've thought about it. What does success look like for this podcast? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. I think that's probably the
0: best question I got. I think it's it's easy for me to fall into the trap of wanting wanting this to be about how popular it is. Like, I think it's easy to fall into the if everyone knows, if it gets bigger and bigger, gets more followers, like, and thinking of that as success. I think it's so easy to get trapped into that quantity sort of measure of it. I think I fall into that trap. Everyone does, like, of wanting as many people to engage with my stuff like I try and do things to get more people but I think for me I think the quality of people that this can reach like I want this to have I want people to be listening to most episodes I want to be my content to engage with in a in a big way with a lot of people like more quality I don't just want people to scan through and and listen and and that's it I want people to really engage with it so I think for me success is as in a positive way, how many people I can influence? So the more people's lives I can change for the better is is how I will determine the
1: success of this. Right. That's great, into mate.
0: Okay, so that that's all I, all I've got. But um, if if there's anything else we haven't we haven't touched on, we can circle around to it.
1: Um, so is there anything else you want to touch on before you wrap it up? No, mate, you've done a fantastic job, and yeah, I was pretty nervous coming in and sort of speaking about those stories and opening up and on a on a scale where this is going to be broadcast out, like it's it is a little bit scary, but hopefully it encourages someone to have the conversation and, and go and ask a mate. And then when you're when your mate asks you how are you going, you be honest. Um and, and you do have to show that little bit of vulnerability. Um yeah. So the the, the, the better connected we are, the better we perform. So yeah. yeah.
0: And I think when someone does reach out to you, I think you really gotta take the onus and, and, and be that that person that they need to be cuz you know that, that it is hard and i think earlier on when you talked about you had a friend who helped you by you know digging a bit deeper i think i think that's going to be the next step because i think you know people might reach out but then i think we all need to you know be vulnerable and i think that's a huge part of the show um and saying i'm trying to teach people and and learn myself along the way is is how to be vulnerable and empathetic with everyone because I think that's so powerful. Yeah. Well done, mate. You're doing a great job. Thank you. Um, thanks for coming on and hope you guys enjoyed listening to that episode and catch you guys in the next one. So research, and try and find, but you don't know where to go. So many thoughts flood through your mind, you're confused and want to know, mystery, what is to be, so much more than meets the eye, listen to me, time is your key, you'll find out by and by.